Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories to me has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not, not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story and their story is your story and then it's our story and then it's a podcast so it's everybody's story and then you've shared it and gosh that's great huh and even if you don't think you're a nerd you probably are it's easily the most midwestern thing i've ever been a part of <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast featuring the theme, T. Hanks. Thanks, however you want to say that, uh, to commemorate our team up with the awesome people behind International Tom Hanks Day. Uh, this episode, we've got Tom Hanks Day founders Chris Petro and Kellen Manley telling tales, plus friends Bill Nielsen, Larissa Zagaris, and Finn Coe. And there's music from me, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman, and Jim Snedeker. That's four people. We are at full strength today, friends. Uh, friendly reminder that the actual International Tom Hanks Day is this Saturday, April 2nd at Lincoln Hall in Chicago from noon to 5 p.m. So go hang out with cool people, win stuff, celebrate a wonderful actor, and support a fantastic charity, Lifeline Energy, which some people will talk about in this episode. Uh, friendly reminder number two, we're part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op, a really great group of podcasters and advertisers in Chicago working together to make cool stuff. Uh, you can find a bunch of great co-op shows on iTunes. If you like them, please consider leaving a nice review for the show, because that helps a lot in finding a new audience. Uh, and thanks, of course, to our sponsors for this episode, Cards Against Humanity, a big proponent uh, of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. Actually, it's sponsors. We love you so much, Cards Against Humanity. Never change. Uh, we'll be back next week with a pretty big announcement about how you can further support this show and other things the Nerdalog do. Uh, do. Until then, enjoy some Tom Hanks.
that I didn't do that, and I'm just uh, vamping right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a couple more speakers here from Tom Hanks Day that are going to talk a little more about the event and uh, and just do some generally cool shit up here. And the first person to do that is Chris Petro. Alright, so as Kevin mentioned earlier, Tom Hanks Day began pretty organically. Um, we never intended for Tom to find out. And then when when he did find out, we were super stoked, and um, he sent us a letter. And then so every year we decided, you know what, we're just going to invite Tom to Tom Hanks Day every single year and hope that he shows up one day. And so after about 10 years of Kevin working with Tom's assistant, she would have the same excuse every year, Tom's on location filming, can't make it out this year. So one day Kevin got an email and it said, Tom's in New York working on a new Broadway show. If you can make it to New York... We'll get you tickets to the show. So Kevin, being the knowledgeable and savvy businessman that he is, knew that that meant two things. One, we are definitely using this opportunity to meet Tom Hanks. <laughs> and two, we got to figure out how to get to New York without spending a bunch of money. So in May 2014, uh, we booked a hotel in Manhattan using a previously scheduled work event as our guys <laughs> to get there. Uh, boarded a plane and jerked, or jerked, <laughs> and embarked on a journey to meet Mr. Tom Hanks. Still thinking about that last story. <laughs> so the morning of the show, we truly had no idea if we were still going to be able to meet Tom. Um, all we knew is that there was tickets waiting for us at Will Call um, to attend the performance that evening. So later in the afternoon, Kevin got an email from Tom's assistant saying, Tom's bodyguard is going to meet you before the show, and he'll give you instructions of where to go. So we were super stoked at that point. Um, so at 6 p.m., myself, Kellen, and Kevin each wolfed down a slice of shitty Times Square pizza and got in line in front of the Broadhurst Theater and positioned ourselves for a selfie in front of the marquee that said, Tom Hanks and Nora Ephron's Lucky Guy. So let me pause the story there because a few little details. Um, one, Kellen didn't know he was coming until the last minute, so he just bought a random ticket online, wasn't even sitting with us, and Tom's assistant didn't know he was coming. Second, we had no idea what Lucky Guy was about at all. And third, the email that Tom's assistant sent to Kevin never said where to meet the bodyguard or what he even looked like. So we load into the theater, and we took our seats, and just before curtain call, a bald, unassuming, but probably could kick your ass type of gentleman tapped Kevin on the shoulder and said, I'm Tom's bodyguard. And Kevin's like, whoo. <laughs> and so... He's like, meet me by the stage right door after the show, and I'll let you in. And so Kevin, quickly before the guy walked away, he's like, hey, our buddy Kellen's with us. Can he come too? And the guy's like, if he's with you, whatever. <laughs> so the lights went down. Right before I went down, Kevin spun around, saw Kellen, and gave him the old thumbs up. And there. So Lucky Guy was a super serious play. <laughs> like, 
all I knew that Nora Ephron, she had written like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. This dealt with like alcoholism and cancer and police brutality. So after the show, I was like, but of course, and I was like really overwhelmed, like, wow, this is really serious. And then Tom being Tom Hanks killed it and he got nominated for a Tony for it. So the lights went up and people started to file out of this theater. So we headed towards the stage right door and I could tell we were all kind of super nervous. Um, None of us are really the type to be starstruck. Like Kevin, the night before his work event, he actually worked as a liaison introducing people to Gwyneth Paltrow at one of her dumb Goop magazine events. <laughs> but but this was Tom Hanks. So this was all those dumb backyard parties and our goofy-themed T-shirts kind of finally coming to fruition. Um, so... As we head into the hallway, um, actors from the show kind of zigzag in front of us. There was Maura Tierney from ER fame and Christopher McDonald, who played Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore. <laughs> and one thing we noticed as the actors were zigzagging in front of us is that they're all going into the green room, which is like, I don't know, 10 by 12 feet, real small, um, all taking pictures with this like older black guy. And we're looking at each other like, who is that? And then Christopher McDonald popped out and goes, hey, Hank Aaron's here. So for those of you who don't know, Hank Aaron's a baseball player, and he's not, he's not any baseball player. He's one of the greatest baseball players. In 1973, he broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record and held it for 33 years until Barry Bonds cheated his ass to the top. <laughs> so just as we're sitting there, kind of in awe that Hank Aaron's there, Tom popped out of nowhere and flicked Kevin right in the chest, and he goes... So you're the Tom Hanks day, guys. You know, it's a lot of pressure having your own day. So, so we, we joked with Tom about starting Tom Hanks day, and he thanked us for raising money for charity. And then he goes, hey, it's a big night. You guys want to meet Hank Aaron? So we're like, yeah. So we go, we go into the green room, and Tom introduced each one of us to Hank Aaron, and, and we listened to Tom and Hank Aaron talk, and Hank Aaron's talking about playing baseball with Jackie Robinson. We're all just sitting there in a daze. <laughs> so after about 15 minutes of pretending like we had anything meaningful to say to a two-time Oscar winner and, like, Hall of Fame baseball player, <laughs> we, we, we're like, all right, time to go. So we filed towards the backstage exit. So I assumed that the exit would just go straight out into an alley next to a dumpster. But New York doesn't have alleys. So when the door opened, it went right on the Broadway Avenue, and there was about a hundred people on two sides of a barrier fence, all snapped a ton of photos at us. And in one collective sigh, they all cheered and then sighed in pure disappointment <laughs> when they realized that we definitely were not Tom Hanks or even Shooter McGavin. So one thing I forgot to say about when we were in the green room is that Kevin also was like, you know, no one's going to believe this shit. So he popped out his cell phone, and we got a picture with the three of us crammed next to Tom Hanks and Hank Aaron. So as we left the show and we're on the streets weaving through people, Kevin popped out his phone, and he posted to Facebook our famed photo. And our buddy Phil was the first person to comment on it, and he said, look, three jackasses and a couple of Hanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Shooter McGavin's all right, but I'm glad you guys are here. <laughs> if, he, if he wants to come tell a story, he can tell a story, too. That's cool. We'll take it. Yeah, coming up next to the stage, a uh, friend of the show has been here a few times, always does great stuff, Phil Nielsen. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. 
Uh, so for this evening, I know the theme of the event was T. Hanks. Uh, so after a lot of thought, that made me think of, you know, thanks. And <laughs> with that in mind, uh, that's what inspires this particular story. Uh, everyone is the hero of his or her own story. That's the headline to like a self-help article or a skeevy Craigslist ad. Uh, I tend to think of myself, though, not really as a hero of my own story. I'm more of like the, the third supporting lead. Uh, think like Ron Livingston and Swingers. <laughs> it, I don't have a more accessible film reference than that, sorry. Uh, but, but sometimes you are in a position where you can make a difference, where you see someone in need and only you can help them. And then at that point, what do you do? Uh, so a few years ago, I would commute from Buffalo, New York to Toronto, Ontario uh, for classes at their Second City Theater. Uh, that trip involved driving for about an hour from like Buffalo to Oakville, Ontario, and then taking the GO train from Oakville into downtown Toronto. So that's like a that's like an hour train ride. Think like the Metra uh, if you're in the Chicago area. Uh, standard crowd for those trains is like work commuters, Jays fans, Maple Leafs fans, and on this particular day, one dog. Uh, the dog was wandering around the train car without a leash and I I looked up for a minute and I was like that's not normal and then I looked back down otherwise uh, a few minutes later I met the owner Sadie Uh, she was looking for her dog and nice enough even if I was confused as to why she didn't have her dog on a leash I explained I was going downtown and she said she was taking the train to Sudbury I was not aware of it at that moment but that was a big red flag Uh, the GO train you know, as I mentioned, is like the Metro, and then it runs like roughly a 60-mile radius of like the Chicago or the Toronto area. Sudbury is 250 miles from Toronto. Uh, so that's like a commuter flight. That's like a one-hour flight from Toronto to Sudbury, and you would never be able to get there. Uh, if you're Canadian listening for context, that's 400 kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> for the moment, though, I was blissfully unaware. Uh, the rest of the train ride... It was uneventful until we got to the station. Uh, I had been reading a book, so I, when I got off, I didn't think too much about my surroundings until I got off the train. And I didn't see Sadie anywhere around, but I did see the dog. The dog had, had wandered onto another train track. Uh, so at that moment, I suppressed a rising sense of panic, and as playfully as I could, I got down and like did the thing. I was like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, come on over here. And thank God that dog listened to me. Yeah. <laughs> it came over. And Sadie came back over. She was explaining she still just needed to get to Sudbury, which still at that time I had no idea what that really meant. I assumed that meant she was going to go into the station and buy a new ticket to like pick a, to transfer to a different route. So I led the dog as gently as I could by the collar over to a security officer to explain the situation. She replied in monotone, yeah, you'll need to head downstairs to the waiting area. In the meantime, Sadie had already wandered away. Uh, I felt bad kind of pulling the dog around the Union Station, and I never did get the dog's name either, uh, but I was worried he wouldn't listen to me if I let go, and so I tried to keep her in sight, I tried to, to pull the dog along, and by the time we reached the main concourse, Sadie was gone. I was standing there, I have my stuff with me, I have a dog, but I mean, I'm not even a citizen in this country, <laughs> and I have a, like a, this other creature with me, this other animal, but luckily... I was next to a Mrs. Fields stand. And and the Mrs. Fields uh, associates there were very helpful. They were very nice. And when I explained my situation, they're like, oh, okay, we'll find a police officer. So one of them wanders off. A police officer comes over. 
and I explain the situation. And thankfully, she's much more understanding and helpful than the first officer I spoke to. And she's like, okay, uh, I will go try and find Sadie. You stay here. So minutes later, I'm staying there trying to just be friendly with the dog, uh, give him a few strokes on the back. And Sadie comes back over with the officer, and she's like, oh, thank you so much. You found my dog. I don't believe that she was trying to deceive me. I don't think she was trying to, like, abandon her dog in Union Station. I, I think that, un- unfortunately, that she might not have been fully able to help herself in this context, in this situation. But I don't really know. I- I'm never going to know because the officer said that I could leave, and so I left. Uh, I mean, she most likely needed more help that, than what I could offer. Uh, she probably needed some specific special help. But I still remember feeling immense relief when I was told I could go, and I know why. I was glad I didn't have to be helpful anymore, that I wasn't inconvenienced any further. All I did was walk Sadie a couple hundred feet, or again, like 70-ish meters if you're in Canada, and ask a bunch of people for help. I, I don't know that in this case Sadie could have been the hero of her own story, and I wasn't the hero of her story. Ron Livingston probably wouldn't be either. All of us were just the support. We're just there to help. Uh, And thank you very much. That poor dog. Hope that dog's okay. I mean, I hope Sadie's okay too. But man, I was thinking while you were telling that story, like, man, what if my dog was on a train? That'd be real bad. (laughs) Even if I was there, it'd be real bad. She'd just go crazy. And then I thought, what if my dog was here? And you guys might enjoy that, but it wouldn't be that cool for the podcast listeners. <laughs> you hear a lot of this as her tail hits the mic stand. Anyway, guys, we have a couple newcomers. Uh, like I said, we have a bunch of new faces in the house tonight. We've got two in a row, but I'm sure they're going to do great, great stuff. Coming up first, Larissa Zagaris. Thank you. There's no dog in this story. Uh, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say most of the people in the audience watched the first Tom Hanks movie when they were a kid. Show of a round of applause. That's, that's true. Uh, great. And since we were all likely between the ages of 6 and 12 when we first caught the burbs or big or sleepless in Seattle, Tom Hanks first appeared in our individual and collective subconscious not as the young, affable movie star he was in his first heyday, but as someone kind of Old. Boyish, sure, charming, yeah, but old enough to be a young dad, or a young detective, or young, vague sort of businessman. He was young enough to have what my middle-aged fifth-grade teacher mysteriously deemed presents, <laughs> but old enough to wear suits, buy plane tickets, have sex, and be mad at his neighbors. Plus, he was the cinematic embodiment of something rarely existent in movies or even life today, the reluctant but reliable romantic. Could you count on Tom Hanks to pull out all the stops on a first date? No. But you could sure as hell count on him to pull together a really winning montage of 11th hour get-the-girl romance once he pulled his head out of his ass and realized this was it! Because of the cinematic antics of young, old Tom Hanks, we pre-aughts kids knew at least what the movie version of grown-ups did or ought to do. They were funny and grumpy and did big things for love when it came down to it. 
while wearing a rumpled, slim-fitting gray suit. (laughs) Sometimes there was baseball, sometimes there were mermaids, but always, 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 there was Meg Ryan. (laughs) And Tom Hanks being the good guy, the real guy, the old enough to be your dad guy. Tom Hanks was the face of adulting when adulting was just called being an adult. (laughs) And when we were all kids, we knew it would take us so super long to become our version of Tom Hanks-level grown-up. By the time we did, we probably owned two houses with the love of our lives, one in New York, one in London, Uh, and I'll be a successful marine biologist with a rainbow tie-dye fashion (laughs) sideline. When we weren't also being an actress and a writer, and an independent but effective private detective who owned ponies. Yet here we all are. Tom Hanks is a movie star in the prime of his youth, and every single one of us are in the subprime of our youths. Mortality, yikes! People freak out about this. Yet a unique group of people tend to freak out about this in what is an at best entertaining and at worst teeth-gratingly obnoxious way creative types. If you are or have met a creative type, you know a fortunate slash unfortunate side effect of being one is an impressive but soul-sucking desperation to leave some mark, any mark of yourself and opinion on the face of the world forever until the heat death of the universe and perhaps beyond. (laughs) By the time you're 25. Oops. (laughs) When this in all likelihood doesn't pan out, Said creative types can turn to strange outlets to achieve some semblance of satisfaction in the search of their full-headed goals. One of those outlets is the internet, more specifically Twitter. And before I get into the meat of this, I want to let you in on a little secret. I myself am a creative type, as is one of my best friends, Katie Johnson-Smith, who spoke earlier. Uh, And though we may not look a day over 18, we are in fact more than a smidge older than 25. We don't own houses. We don't own ponies. We don't own our own independent yet effective detective agency or rainbow tie-dye fashion sideline yet. But what we do own and did, even in the early years of our friendship, is an endless love for each other and an endless desire to make something of ourselves. Fuck yes. And what we did own, along with a few other creative type friends of ours a few years ago, was a shit ton of free time to make fake Twitter accounts. It started as a bit between the two of us in 2013. A bit is what comedy folk call a joke. But the joke is usually only funny to the ones making it. This bit went beyond. In 2013, I was running an after-school program, and Katie was an assistant to a millionaire asshole. We carried out both jobs with mixed satisfaction, and a running joke for both of us was our love of the movies of our youth and her fanatic devotion and sexual attraction to young Tom Hanks. (laughs) One way or another, we ended up each creating a fake Twitter account. Her, one is young Tom Hanks. Me, one is young Meg Ryan. There are a few ways more bizarre or satisfying than acting out your own deep platonic same-sex friendship than by role-playing as young Tom Hanks and young Meg Ryan on Twitter. (laughs) And we played this oddity to the hilt. (laughs) At first, our playful, uh, sleepless in Seattle-esque Twitter banter just struck our friends as another weird thing Larissa and Katie do to amuse themselves. The tweets mixed real reality with movie reality, and our young Tom Hanks and young Meg Ryan fell in a same strained and sassy sort of love their characters did again and again on screen. Until young Meg Ryan met young Dennis Quaid, of course. Until the appearance of other youngs started adding themselves to the conversation. The bit between Katie and I became a bit between a small group of our friends. 
we thought. We didn't know who anyone was playing, and Twitter for notifications became a surreal blast from a past we never actually lived, as young Julia Roberts cropped up, young Keanu Reeves, young Michael J. Fox, even young Eric Stoltz, (laughs) young Terry Garr, even. A panoply of movie stars who were young in the 80s, 90s of our youth were suddenly young again and on Twitter, talking about getting stood up or coked up or traveling back in time. It was a strange, very strange fever that was spreading throughout a group of 12 or 15 of us. It went beyond a bit quickly as people chose their youngs because they matched some aspects of who the tweeter was or wanted to be. People played multiple youngs as well, and I found myself falling in love with my own creation of a young Chris Walken who, who tweeted odd non sequiturs and pointed observations when he wasn't showing off his tap skills on Twitter. I found some small part of myself becoming the awkward man with a dancer's body and a psychopath's brain I have always suspected lives inside my own human awkward woman body, and I was loving it. Other people were loving it too. The shy friend who found ease and grace in being a witty young Robert Downey Jr. The bigger guy who got to be young, handsome Chevy Chase. The private aloof friend who got to weird it up as young Keanu Reeves. The loveless friend who got to tear up the night as Terry Garr, banging her way through the new young Hollywood on Twitter. In the dead of night, before we... we Uh, The real people went to sleep in the pink of morning as we groggy and giggling checked our phones. The lunchtime crunch where we all felt less alone, less not so young anymore, together. If it sounds like I'm talking about a cult, it should sound like I'm talking about a cult. (laughs) Whatever strange fire burns in the hearts and minds of cult members just before they drink the Kool-Aid or strap on their death Nikes... and a small group of our friends were feeling our own. We weren't just pretending to be the young, old, young versions of our childhood movie stars anymore. We were becoming them until the Twitter feds shut down the young Tom Hanks Twitter account. Before the collective youngs could recover from the shock, so two big brothers struck down young Meg Ryan. (laughs) Young Val Kilmer caught some static, but really, what surprise was that? The real surprise was that a handful of joke Twitter accounts with nay but 20 followers between them really posed a threat to any of the real celebrity brands we were co-opting. The fever to free the youngs now supplanted our fever to be the youngs. We hashtag free the youngs. Uh, we at tagged, we begged the nameless, faceless Twitter powers that be to spare our dream tweet versions of ourselves. They didn't. And perhaps within two weeks of this strange phenomenon of feeling like we were our childhood movie heroes born again, some ageless legends returned to roam the Twitter earth in full guts and glory, the fever broke. And we weren't the youngs anymore. We weren't fake famous. We weren't fake in love. We weren't fake legends. We were just real and young-ish and ourselves. Boyish, girlish, yeah, charming, sure, but old enough to buy plane tickets, to wear suits, to be mad at our neighbors, to have sex reliably, romantically, and to be funny and grumpy and do things for love when it came down to it, to leave that of ourselves, at least, on the face of the world until the heat death of the universe and maybe beyond. Hashtag free the youngs.
Thank you. Good night. Yeah. That made me feel just a little bit worse about Twitter. How dare they shut you down? Oh, that sucks. But that's so awesome that you did that. How many were there in total? How? I, I um, a lot. I brought yeah. some printouts because they're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I would incorporate them, but I didn't. So I, I can share. Please. No we'll, put it, we'll put it on the Nerdlogs Facebook page yeah. or something. All right, guys. Coming up next, I want to hear from Finn Coe. That's this guy. Uh, I've been up here before, but this is my first time telling the truth, so I'll, so I'll keep it short. Uh, yep. Alright. For a smart kid, I wasn't very bright. I blissfully didn't notice, failed to put together, or outright misremembered many things as a child. I was very surprised to learn as an adult that the beloved childhood classic Groundhog Day does not in fact end the way I remember it, with Bill Murray driving off a cliff with Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> There, there is, as it turns out, a whole second half of the movie that I had simply forgotten. <laughs> Likewise, there is a lot more to the plot of The Saint than just the scene where Val Kilmer steals the secrets of cold fusion from out of Elizabeth Shue's bra. Uh, and that weird birthmark that my mom's always had took me two decades to realize that, yeah, that's absolutely a tattoo. <laughs> there were a few things that penetrated my enthusiastic ignorance. A few books, movies, and events whose meaning I had not only remembered, but understood. One example, I watched That Thing You Do, and it stuck. How could it not? It had Tom Hanks uh, from the movie Big, where uh, at the end he pitches a toy company on the concept of Beast Wars transfusers, and that's how it ends. Um, it had a main character who wore sunglasses inside. Uh, it cemented my respect for Liv Tyler as an actor. It was a great movie, and it stayed with me. So years down the line, after I'd pulled a reverse Oneaters and left the West Coast to make it big in the Midwest. <laughs> I work on being an artist and a performer and an entertainer, and I meet other bright sparks, other funny and interesting and talented people. And if I'm never the most talented, if I'm never the most talented, at least I'm almost always the hardest working. Reliable. Steady. On beat. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> Some more years down the line. I'm in Chicago now, and I've since rewatched Groundhog Day, The Saint, and That Thing You Do, and a lot of things make a little more sense now. I've got my own group. We're a theater company. Or at least I know we're a theater company, even if some of the others think of it as a sketch group or a temporarily misguided improv team or just some friends messing around. But we've put on a bunch of shows. We're smart. We're funny. We are stylish. We've gotten into almost every comedy festival we've applied to. We've won a couple of meaningless cage matches. Uh, we've made some cool new friends and some exciting new rivals. And we're on our way up, and the sky's the limit. And uh, we're in a cool new comedy festival that another friend of mine has started, and I get to help with it. And I'm taking classes at the Second City, and I've met someone, and it's all finally coming together, just like in That Thing You Do. <laughs> Uh, and, and then the record skips, and I lose the beat. Not all at once, but my friend has her festival taken away from her, and the smartest, funniest guy I know does the smart thing and leaves the group. And then it's my theater company. And then maybe not everyone wants to be in a theater company. Some get out of the game. Some move away. Some don't get along as artists anymore. Some don't get along as friends. I stop taking classes 
I make the decision to call it a day for my theater company. That's what happens in that thing you do. Jimmy quits, Lenny gets married, the bass player joins the Marines. Mr. White says it's a common tale. I, I always remembered this scene. It's a common tale. And Guy protests, but we still have a hit record. And Mr. White agrees that the Wonders do indeed have a hit record. They're the one-hit Wonders. A very common tale, he says. I wasn't all that bright when I was a kid, but it wasn't a total write-off. I remember that that's still not quite how the movie ends, because it's about more than just the Wonders. It's about moving on, about finding out what you want for yourself. In the closing credits, it says that Guy and Faye get married and found the Puget Sound Conservatory of Music, where Guy teaches jazz composition. And that stupid, very cliched montage snapshot stuck with me all those years, through the good, through the bad. Sometimes groups fall apart. Sometimes people don't get along. Sometimes what you made is taken away from you. Sometimes you're not really the Beatles after all. But no one can stop you from playing, and you still might get the girl. And today, I'm up here. And I got this. Uh, and some of my dreams have changed, and I'm still very grateful that I get to pursue them as they change. And if you only remember one thing from all of this, remember, no one can stop you from doing that thing you do. Thank you, Finn. That's some truth. No one can stop you from doing that thing you do. No one can stop you from playing, whether it's, you know, on a, on a makeshift stage at Beagle Brewing or on a street corner somewhere in somebody's dream. No one can stop you. Gosh, you have one more storyteller tonight. The final member of the International Tom Hanks Day triumvirate. This is Kellen Manley. You look like a much bigger group when I only see the speaker. So this is, but um, yes, thank you, Eric. My name is Kellen. I am one of the THD co-founders, and much like Eric, I want to apologize for being overdressed this evening. I just came from a Soul Asylum concert, and it's been a day. It's been a day, but I'm glad I could be here, and I could be with all of you. Um, I, fortunately, have had the last 12 years with these gentlemen, and I think we've done some crazy, amazing things over the years. Um, my role in Tom Hanks Day is mostly in a social media and a digital capacity, so I run our Facebook and our Twitter and I help Kevin run our Instagram, and I do all the quirky little videos that maybe two of you have seen on our website or our social media, uh, thetomhanksday.com, facebook.com, slash tomhanksday. But, um, but I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to talk about Tom Hanks Day, and I kind of racked my brain of the different things that I could talk about in the capacity of what I've done with these guys for the last decade and a half, um, from all the contests we've run, from all the goofy goofy, goofy shit we've done and accomplished in our tenure as friends. But what I thought might resonate the most and what might be the most fun for some of you is having been able to run our social media, I get all the messages from all the people who think we're Tom Hanks. We are not Tom Hanks. But people think we're Tom Hanks. And that always cracks me up from all the movie scripts that I get to read that are hilarious from all the... I don't want to say broken English, but from all the things I can't understand, but people seem really driven about, that I try to piece together and can just never find a way. Um, but it's a trip. 
But on top of just movie scripts and people thinking we're Tom, another thing that people really like to point out to us is that we're wrong and that they have a better day. Like, first of all, they're wrong. There is no better day than Tom Hanks' day. But second, no, that's one and two. It's like Fight Club. There is nothing better than Tom Hanks' day. Nothing better than Tom Hanks' day. Um, But in that effect, I thought I might share with you a few of the other days that we've been offered, so to speak, over the years, and I'll see if you agree with me or not. So uh, without further ado, in random order, um, here's what I received in 2013. Hey, dudes, you know what would be cool? Hulk Hogan Day. Just saying. First of all, anybody who says just saying still, even in 2013, doesn't have any say in reality. No offense, just saying. Um, so my response to that was, I try, sometimes I try to be funny, sometimes I try to be sincere, but this one was just very straight to the point. It's just, we don't have that much spandex. Can't make it happen, we don't have the budget. Yeah, I know, that's a kind of a weak one. Well, they get better. Uh, so another one we got, and this one was in 2009. And I want to take you back to 2009, because this is around the time of Taken. This is really when Liam Neeson became... Harrison Ford of the new generation. Like, he would do anything, anything, as long as he got to save somebody. So I got this, uh, when are you guys going to start a Liam Neeson day? That dude rules. That's verbatim what it was. That dude rules. Good argument. Uh, so I responded back, you know, the short answer, probably never. Uh, because then every year we'd just be the same old thing, repurposed for the current year we are in. And then we'd always be worrying about who's getting kidnapped at our event. And, uh, and it went on, and it, it wasn't funny. It became actually a lot meaner. Um, but this is the one person who actually replied. Usually when I throw something back, people are kind of like, all right, yeah, it didn't work. But uh, he replied, and all he said was, and this is another one of those idioms that I really hope you're not still saying, but uh, he actually replied, fuck you, bro, Liam for life. For life. Liam for life. Um, and I did not respond because how I don't know what you even say to that. Um, so there's a few other ones. Some of them have been really good. Last year we got one that said, hey, what's up? Uh, when Adam Sandler Day gonna be in the U.S., yeah? Can we celebrate Billy and Happy now yet, or no? Um, no. No. Um, but as you can see, um, Tom, these are mostly sexes. We don't get a lot of women days. There's not a lot of throws for a woman's day. I think that's bullshit. The one we did get, though, this was a while back, and this was... We got a request from a, and she said, what about B. Arthur Day? That lady seems legit. And I, and I agree, B. Arthur is totally legit. Um, but I think it was great. Someone else pointed out and was talking about Meg Ryan, and I think if we were gonna start a woman's day, I think we'd really have to go with a Meg Ryan Day. Um, but then it'd be kind of weird because then we'd probably have to move our main event to Seattle and then we'd have to set up Meg Ryan Day in New York. Is this how Sleepless in Seattle goes? I've actually never seen that one. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We're bad at this. We're bad at this. Um, and then, you know, there's all this drama. If our party's going to move to New York. If their party's going to move to Seattle. Um, or someone's going to have to can jump in a volcano. So um, we're not sure. And then the last one I wanted to share with you, and I actually got this one two weeks ago, and it was for a Rahm Emanuel day. And Yeah, and I'm not from Chicago, but I know from what I hear from my friends in Chicago, that guy's probably not awesome. Um, so we did some digging, and I looked into it, 
And the email that I came from was a ramen noodles69 at AOL.com. So I'm almost 100% certain that it was from Ram himself. And you cannot have your own day, dude. <laughs> um, so that was it. Um, the one we hear most often, and you guys will probably all agree, because he's another great guy out there and one of the only few people that could probably have a day of his own. But we do hear a lot about Bill Murray Day. And I, I have nothing bad to say. If you want to tell me how cool a Bill Murray would, Day would be, I wholeheartedly agree with you. We're not going to make it happen, but Groundhog's Day would be a great day for you to start one if you wanted to. Um, kind of breaks up the time between April Fool's Day and when we do our Tom Hanks Day thing and that. And we could have a lot of fun. So any of you young entrepreneurs out there, you go-getters, think about it. Um, but seriously, in the end, um, I think the only way this could have been possible for us is to do a Tom Hanks Day. Having his support for the last decade, having these dudes' support for the last decade has really changed our lives. We've gotten a lot of incredible opportunities to come from it. We met fucking Hank Aaron. That's awesome. Not to mention Tom Hanks. Um, just, I mean, that's how awesome this connection has been for us. Um, and we don't take it for granted. We really look forward to doing this every year. We look forward to trying to make, raise as much money for Lifeline Energy as we can. That's lifelineenergy.org. They are a wonderful, wonderful organization. They do amazing things for people who need it, all inspired by education and information, which is truly critical at this day and age. Um, so with that said, I hope to see all of you at Lincoln Hall, April 2nd, from noon to 5, right here in Chicago. We'll be there all day. We'll be having a great time. We'll have tons of great Tom Hanks signed memorabilia for you to win. Lots of fun for you to have. And on that note, I know I was the best speaker tonight, so the first 20 of you who come up to me personally and tell me that can get a free Tom Hanks Day sticker. But thank you very much. Go Tom Hanks. Appreciate it. I'm down on some soul asylum, Kellen. You want to jam on some misery? Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. What else should I say? Oh, yeah. So, once again, this is Jim, Claire, and Dwight. And I really love being up here with these guys. They're all such fucking great musicians can, can and I people. Can I say something, Eric? You can. I just want to say, guys, from the, from the bottom of my heart, truly, follow me on Twitter, because I have eight followers. <laughs> <laughs> from the bottom of Jim's heart. From the bottom of my heart. It's at James Junior Music. This is so Jim actually he he's only with us about half the time. He's working on an album of original stuff while like raising a family, and he posts new videos every week. And his songs are really really good. So check out yeah. his originals. Um, that's much more serious than the clownery we're doing up here. <laughs> and with that said, I don't know how this is gonna go. I wonder what I wonder what voice Dwight's gonna pull out here I have in a second. Pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Uh, cool. So this is from uh, I mean. I love these guys, like I said. How do we not do this? You got a friend in me. Yep. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your last woman. You just remember what your old pal said. Boy, you got a friend Anything that I wouldn't do 
part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like your stories, you might also enjoy Write Club. Write Club is literature as blood sport. Two opposing writers, two opposing ideas, each fighting for deathless glory. Hosted by polar opposites Ian Belknap and Lindsay Moscato. For more information, go to www.writeclubnation.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.